Peace, peace, and welcome. We're glad you're here. This is the Cook on Monday Morning Podcast. I am here with one of the luminaries of our time. <laughs> the, uh, the, the most hard-hitting power broker in the history of San Francisco. Oof, what an intro. <laughs> uh, a person I consider a mentor and a friend. Welcome, Alex Turk. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. No, it's good to be here. Yeah. At uh, Cook on Monday Morning, we believe that if you can own Monday morning, you can own the week. If you can own the week, you can own the year. And if you change your year, you can change your life. And so um, Alex has a long history in San Francisco politics. He has a long history in solving problems. Uh, I want to get into a lot of his story, uh, what he's currently doing now, maybe touch on some issues that he thinks are solvable in the city. Um, He's also the founder of uh, Project Homeless Connect, which has a great brand in the city of San Francisco. And so um, let's get started. Yeah, right on. (laughs) Bring it. Yeah. Where'd you grow up, Alex? I'm from New York originally. Um, Grew up with a single mom and an older sister. Um, And then when I was about seven and my sister was 10, she moved us across the country. So my mom was... uh, a secretary for William Morris Agency and okay. got promoted to agent and so was transferred across the country to LA. Um, so I mainly grew up in Los Angeles, but from New York originally, and most of my family is back in New York. Okay. Where in New York? Uh, in Manhattan. Okay. Yep. Got it. Got it. And where in LA did you move to? Uh, in Beverly Hills, California, okay. a little unknown city. Uh, <laughs> I was I like, I, I'm, you know, I'm a little older than you are, but there was a show at the time called The White Shadow. Okay. Um, and like, there was like, it was about a you know group of kids from like Culver City, California, you know, mix of folks. And there was this one guy who was like the loudmouth from New York. His name was Salami. So when I moved across the country, I was immediately like nicknamed this guy Salami. Uh, um, but uh, I loved growing up in LA. I mean, it was a uh, you know beautiful place to be. I really learned my work ethic from my mom, mm-hmm. uh, watching her. Um, just lead groups of people, really. Um, so, you know, love growing up there, but I knew at 18 I needed to get out of L.A. It wasn't every – everyone wanted to be in the entertainment business in one way or another, mm-hmm. uh, which really wasn't the thing for me. And I first um, visited San Francisco when I was about 14 or 15. And what I remember is regardless of, like, the ideological divide, like, the one thing, at least back then, that seemed to unite everyone was their love of the city. Mm -hmm. And I just remember that as a 14-year-old boy of, like, this synergy of San Francisco that I just, I knew at some point I was going to make my way here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, loving the city is something I definitely identify with. Yeah. Yeah. when did you, so at 18, did you come straight here after that? No, or? I went to Boston University. Mm-hmm. Uh, was BU. Hist- yeah, BU. Uh-huh. Um, I thought I wanted to go to like a smaller, um, you know, kind of campus type school. And then I really recognized within about two or three months, like my campus was Boston, mm-hmm. which was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are 60 colleges in Boston. So you can imagine there's just students everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved being like one of the lone LA guys in on the East Coast. That was mm-hmm. kind of fun too. And I'm from the East Coast originally. So it was kind of nice to be back in winter. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, don't, so, I, don't, I don't agree with that. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> man. It was I knew it was four years, right? So um, so no, it was a great place to go to school and um, loved history. I, I grew up with a, my mom was very political. Um, she started a group called the Hollywood Women's Political Committee when I was, mm. you know, younger. And so folks like Ted Kennedy and Barbara Jordan were in my living room. Mm. And so I was learning about politics at a, at a young age. And so I was kind of always driven to politics, history history public service Mm -hmm. um so yeah so i was a history major thinking that i wanted to be a teacher Mm -hmm. uh which is what brought me here looking back i just i knew i wanted to get to san francisco so i applied for a teaching credential program at saint mary's um so looking back like i just wanted to get here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and i think i thought at the time i had to have it figured out and looking back like 
you know, obviously that wasn't the profession that I went into, but uh, it got me here to San Francisco. Mm. What are some of the early lessons around like politics or um, the issues that initially got you uh, passionate about social change? Because those are some really important people you had in your living room. Yeah, I mean, it probably took me a while to get to that point when okay. it was about social change. I mean, that was probably my days in the mayor's office, to be honest. I mean, I'm still, you know, you brought up Project Homeless Connect. I'm incredibly passionate about solutions to homelessness. But at the beginning, I think what got me excited was um, the campaign work. Mm. Uh, there was something about... Um, like one of the first major campaigns that I worked on, it felt like being in a play. Mm -hmm. Like meaning you rehearse every day, mm -hmm. you love each other one day, you hate each other the next, <laughs> things are going crazy. Right. But then it's, the curtain goes up and it's showtime, mm -hmm. right? And you either get the New York Times review or you're a flop. And there was this energy to winning mm -hmm. um, that I was really drawn to. And it was very family oriented. And I think I kind of recognized my organizational ability. I was always, you know, some people are really good at fundraising. Uh, some people are good at field. And like, that's my thing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I like leading groups of people. Mm -hmm. And I really kind of built that experience through my campaign work. So, I mean, in terms of when I got passionate about social change is probably when I first realized I could merge politics and policy together and really that was homeless connect right i mean it was organizing a city to say everyone can play a role in this some way somehow right. and so that was the first time i really recognized like my political skills didn't just have to be electing john smith you know supervisor or mayor mm -hmm. i could actually organize larger groups of people around policy change and that's that was definitely inspiring okay yeah well yeah we should get into the political stuff then because uh you know i've, I've run two races i'm i'm currently running another one and yep. uh and that you have a lot of uh experience running races in the city and I, and I and i get what you're talking about when it comes to um the energy around trying to achieve a political outcome uh, one of the one of the things that I've sort of centered myself on is keeping myself focused on the activities that I need to do and and trying to avoid distractions. You know, what what's your impression of that? Well, no, it's <laughs> a it's an important lesson that I learned a long time ago that you can't be the candidate and the campaign manager at the mm -hmm. same time. And I've seen many people fail because of that. Cause I mean, again, you need to be the candidate right and do what you can do to reach voters and you know motivate people right to support you um i'm a big believer of kind of pick a couple things and do them really well mm -hmm. and so at least again in my experience with my field background like i would i would any candidate who comes to see me like just asking for advice or direction it could be school board it could be supervisor it could be mayor mm -hmm. Um, the first thing I always say is like, I would put two lists together that are both 50 deep. One is who would show up to your kickoff? Like if you called them and said, I'm running, I'm going live. I need you standing by my side. Who are those 50 people? Mm -hmm. Then the other list of 50 is who would write you a check? You know, I mean, unfortunately it takes money to communicate in politics. Right. And so you make that list of a hundred and I've seen, you know, I've talked to a number of candidates, right. And some never come back with that list. Mm -hmm. Some come back with it and you can tell the potential success by seeing these lists, right. Because at the end of the day, then it's organizing and motivating those lists. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. so if you have 50 people that are going to stand with you at a kickoff, well, asking all of them to go find 10 friends, now you got 500 supporters, right? And then you just need to stay on top of the 50 versus going one by one all over the district or city or whatever it might be. So mm -hmm. it just comes down to brick and mortar organizing as far as I'm concerned. Um, but it's easier said than done. Right? Yeah, no, yeah, it is easier said than done. And I, and I, and I definitely believe in the, the power of the list, you know, like uh, the first time I had to do call time. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> and, uh, call time people that don't know is um, a candidate calling whoever is on the list to ask them for money, right? Yeah. That's just for. And so, um, uh, you know, I have a list in front of me and I have the numbers next to the list. And like, 
I really don't want to pick up the phone, you know? <laughs> it is like, <laughs> hey, by the way, you're not alone. I yeah. mean, I, I have not met many a candidate that enjoys call time, especially when it's call time for money. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, some people are really good at fundraising. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are good at field. And, you know, I've always been drawn to the field side of things. Like, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes that could be harder to actually ask someone for three hours of their time mm-hmm. versus writing a check and it's, it's over. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like, yeah, it's yeah. a necessary evil, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, you know, like talking about the psychological, emotional part of calling people, right? Because um, I never liked it. Once you start, it's not, it's not that bad, but it does take, it, you do have to overcome this very big mental block yeah. by, by, by like picking up the phone. And, um, and the fact that I had to do it and I forced myself to do it, um, it's kind of like a, a thing that I expect other people to do. Like, no, I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy this. Like, <laughs> you yeah. know, if if you want to, if if I'm going to be serious about backing you, then as another candidate, like you have to be serious about getting past whatever discomfort it is. To, That's fair. To like commit to the process, you know, and and so in my in my races, people have always said in my school board races, they said that I was a good fundraiser, and um and I and I really don't like to do it. I just force myself to commit the time you know yeah. so it's like all right I, ha- I had these two hours blacked out um i'm a call for two hours yeah and i'm a hate it when i started and but i have to spend the time on doing it you know yeah. so it's kind of like um i don't know do you have any interesting stories about i, I guess you didn't push candidates to call right you weren't were you in those rooms uh, people i mean a- i've definitely been in those rooms and again mm-hmm. it's easier for me to say right i mean i've never put my name on the ballot so props to you right mm-hmm. um you know i was always representing another individual but mm-hmm. i mean you know uh, i've spent plenty of time calling phone banking where you're asking for support right, right, right? right. versus you know asking for a financial contribution but um yeah, I mean, again, the majority of candidates that I've worked with and for um, struggle with that. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, but so again, good to you for breaking through that because, mm-hmm. again, at the end of the day, you need to communicate to the broader public, and you can only meet so many people knocking on a door, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, so again, it's uh, I, I can see why you struggle with it. Yeah. Like, you're not alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but you you more so enjoyed and you're not you don't really do races as much anymore right no i actually i mean i stopped doing them i found myself so i've i've owned my company now i mean you know again i i worked um just to give you a little bit of my work history mm-hmm. um you know again i got into campaigns and then it's a it's a very small town right so i worked for a state assemblyman on the peninsula a guy named lou pappen who's no longer with us who uh was really the first time i was working um hand in glove with the principal okay um so he was 65 i was 25 Mm. uh old school blue dog democrat from massachusetts like grew up in poverty Mm um you know made a career for himself and um you know that uh, running for the assembly those districts are big you know so this was the 19th ad which was like daily city to foster city so big territory and I didn't have a day off for nine months, like hmm. not one day off, because mm-hmm. he was basically like, if I'm knocking on the door, you're knocking on it too, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was such a lesson in retail politics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was very successful. Um, and so I ran his district office for about six years, okay. uh, and then his reelection um, but I was living in the city, so I was going down to Millbrae for work, mm. and he really hated going to events. Like, huh. so I was like the guy that did the chicken dinner stuff uh, okay. and the proclamations, mm-hmm. and which really helped me like get better at public speaking, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but that led me to Mayor Brown, mm-hmm. which led me to Mayor Newsom, um, and so when I started my company now, like thirteen years ago. I'd say about five or six, you know, when you're a small business entrepreneur, you take resources where you can get it. Right. And people wanted to hire me to run their campaigns. It made sense. Mm-hmm. But again, about like six years ago, I probably had like five or six campaigns in a cycle. And one candidate who shall remain nameless, I just, I caught myself in the mirror like two weeks before election day going, I could care less if this guy wins or loses, which is mm. the antithesis of me. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me 
Um, I mean, I'll take a bullet for my candidate. I'm mm -hmm. like blood, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, kind of hard on my sleeve mm -hmm. type mentality. And I was kind of recognizing like, why am I feeling this way? And mm -hmm. it was, I felt like most of the words and ideas were mine. Mm -hmm. I was getting yelled at every day. Mm -hmm. I wasn't making that much money. Mm -hmm. And did I need to elect, you know, Stevan to the board of supervisors so I could get my client lift a meeting with supervisor cook like if i mm -hmm. hadn't earned that by now mm -hmm. then i was never going to get there mm -hmm. and so i kind of went cold turkey on campaigns um which was very freeing to mm -hmm. be honest so mm -hmm. we're now like a you know kind of diverse public affairs firm right. that works in politics but mm -hmm. we just don't work on individual campaigns yeah. if that makes sense yeah yeah we yeah, we, have, we have talked about ground floor at all so you 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 found a ground floor. Found a ground floor it was, yeah. uh, I mean, best move I ever made. Mm -hmm. You know, life you know takes weird turns, mm -hmm. and I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. I was a political operative, right? Mm -hmm. I was like working for a mayor. I thought I was going to work for a governor. I thought I was going to work for a president. It was mm -hmm. just going to be my trajectory, and you know, you get knocked down in life and you get back up. Mm -hmm. And I had some really good people around me that motivated me to start my own thing which was very risky at the time mm -hmm. um but i look back now and i'm like it was definitely the greatest move i ever made because i i feel super fortunate mm -hmm. that i get up in the morning and i'm excited to go to work and yeah. i've got a team of 10 people that work with and for me mm -hmm. and they're young and they're hungry and they're ambitious and they're talented uh and i love going to war with these guys you know mm -hmm. and so i'm uh ground floors like it's my baby yeah i love it yeah yeah walk talk walk me through a little bit of that that uh that decision from to start you know a lot of i've, I've had a lot of founders on the show mm -hmm. thus far and everyone's sort of like people are in different places in their life you know they yeah. like they like they they have like personal stuff going on they have like savings financial stuff going on and they sure. have um an idea you know and so what was it like to go from idea to yes? Yeah, I mean, again, uh, this you know, the formation of my company is pretty unique. You know, I mean, uh, you know, things were pretty high profile, and I was going through a tough time in my life. Um, so, kind of everyone knew what was going on in my life, right? Which was hard enough. Um, I actually give. Um, Congresswoman Spear, Jackie Spear, all the credit in the world is, mm -hmm. you know, I went from being a deputy chief of staff and a campaign manager of a mayoral reelect with, you know, 15 minute slots. Like I was busy, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, like I have a free calendar, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. and she took me to, to breakfast one morning and was actually like, look, I know you're going through a really hard time, mm -hmm. but trust me start your own thing people will come um and it really motivated me to be like if she, you know if she feels that confident about my abilities mm -hmm. and that people are going to want you know to see me succeed you know why don't i give this a shot right and i didn't know i mean i didn't know anything about starting a company right so mm -hmm. i kind of cobbled it together of you know you get three clients you get a logo mm -hmm. you get a website mm -hmm. you get a you get an office <laughs> there you go and then you go to work right yeah. so it um again had she not shown that faith and confidence in me like i don't know that i would have done it so whenever i run into her i make sure to remind her that mm. you know she was really the reason that i kind of dove in head first and started ground floor mm -hmm. yeah i've actually heard sort of secondary stories about um congresswoman spears and how um how she's done that for people hmm. uh, and been like a a source of um you know support and like encouraging and and she has like her own like really unique story 100 percent. she was shot nine times i might add at jonestown yeah, yeah i yeah. mean she i mean that's that's one nine strong times. woman man it's yeah. something like that i mean it was that's multiple crazy. times mm -hmm. um but she's had a lot of struggle in her life mm -hmm. um but she's an unbelievable woman, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I'm fortunate to know her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, and so, um, you went to yes. What, what was the first moment when you were like, okay, this is for real? Um, so my first, like I said, cobbling three clients together made uh -huh. me feel like, okay, I've got a firm, right? <laughs> uh -huh. Like I've got three. And there were a couple stories where the at the time the. CEO of CPMC. This was before they built the mm -hmm. the big hospital on Van Ness. 
um, he called me and, you know, I mean, I knew him, but not very well. Mm -hmm. uh, his name was uh, Dr. Martin Brotman, incredible guy, really thoughtful. And he called me and said, you know, when I hear Alex Turk is a free agent, like that's a call I'm going to make. So mm -hmm. immediately, mm -hmm. like I was kind of excited, like, okay, like I'm now putting myself out there. There's one potential. Um, the Giants came around. Mm -hmm. The All-Star Game was here mm -hmm. uh, that year, 2007. Okay. So they brought me on to kind of organize the small business community and make them feel involved. Mm -hmm. And then when I really realized, I think that things were going to not be okay, but just like that things were moving in the right direction, is I get a call and uh, it's like, hi, this is Maria Shriver. And I'm like, yeah. And I literally <laughs> hang up. And she calls right back. She's like, please don't hang up. Like, this is Maria Shriver. And she had heard about the work that we did, we had done on Project Homeless Connect. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to start something statewide mm -hmm. to bring resources to working families mm -hmm. um, in that Connect organizing model. Right. And so all of a sudden, like, you know, I had Maria Shriver as a client and the Giants and CPMC. And it was like, you know, somewhat high profile. Uh, so it just kind of made me realize like I could crawl before we walk and that there was something there that people did want to work with me, that Jackie was right mm -hmm. and just gave me the confidence to keep going. Yeah. 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 I was looking at your uh, website like not too long ago and I've seen you work with a variety of different people. So you went from that three and your portfolio of past or existing clients is, is pretty much like most people that high profile companies that you can think of that has some sort of you know, interplay with San Francisco. Yeah. Um, well, again, like I was saying to you earlier, I really try to keep things diverse by design. I just, I don't want to be pigeonholed as the tech guy or the mm -hmm. real estate guy or whatever it might be. And in fact, we've got this amazing portfolio of nonprofits. I mean, we worked with Clyde, we're working with Goodwill, Larkin Street, uh, Life Learning Academy, ECS. I mean, like these incredible organizations that are, kind of doing god's health work. right health right 360 yeah, yeah. absolutely so it's um it's really rewarding and it's nice that day to day the issues change right mm -hmm. like it's mm -hmm. you know one day i'm dealing with homelessness the next day i'm dealing with tech the next day we're trying to entitle a project i mean it just it constantly moves mm -hmm. um but i'd say once i decided to stop doing campaigns um i still recognize that that campaign experience is a great selling point to to what we do, right? Meaning if I'm sitting with a prospective client and they're thinking about hiring us, I will always say to that prospective client, well, what does your election day look like? So if you bring us on for three months or six months or a year, what is election day? And it's some are easier than others, right? I mean, a real estate developer is like, I want my project entitled, like no brainer. Mm -hmm. But when I'm talking to a nonprofit director who thinks they need our services for whatever reason, and I see their wheels turning around, what is their election day? And I remember one time, a ED of a nonprofit, just she looked a little shy. And I was like, go ahead. Like, mm -hmm. there's no wrong answer, right? right. She said, um, I want to be known as a thought leader in San Francisco. And I'm like, all right. Like, Good for you for like getting that out there. Now let's reverse engineer a plan. Let's get you on panels. Let's get an op-ed in the Chronicle. Let's do this or that, right? And um, using that like campaign model um, really gets people to understand, again, things will go up, things will go down, but like, where do we want to go? Yeah. And I can't remember the last time I wrote a scope of work that I needed to like check it. Like, what am I supposed to do for this client? Like once we've got synergy on it, yeah. it's pretty clear, right? Um, That's a good so, question. Okay. What does your election day look like? Yeah. Have you, so uh, I, I wanted to talk about, um, I wanted to talk, have you seen Hustle and Flow? Oh yeah, I love that movie. Okay, all right. <laughs> There's a scene in the movie. <laughs> You Didn't know, expect you going there, but yeah. right on. Well, I mean, you know, like I want to get into hip hop too, so I know you like you follow nice. like you know stuff related to. <laughs> you have black seen me culture. walking down yeah. the street, <laughs> checking what I'm listening to uh -huh. on Spotify, right? Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. So, uh, have you worked with Spotify? No, I, oh, okay. I, I wish. I mean, I listen to it all the time. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Spotify, holler at Alex. But, but I'm always listening to '90s hip hop, so it doesn't like you right. know, not listen to the new stuff. Um, well, I was going to bring up Michael Clayton. 
the movie Michael Clayton. Okay. Have you seen that one? With, yeah, uh, it was a, with George Clooney? Yeah, 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 yeah. it was a long time ago. Oh, okay, okay. But no, Hustle and Flow. You're Hustle and Flow. Because uh, I was going to compare you to Michael Clayton, but then I was thinking about the scene from Hustle and Flow. And so if you haven't seen Hustle and Flow, it's a movie about... Um, it's a movie about a, 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 a pimp that uh, is trying to break into music. It was like, it won Oscars. It was like, you know, oh, the yeah. celebrated f- film. And um, uh, the rapper Ludacris has a cameo in the movie. And um, the the person, the main character is trying to become a rapper. Yep. And so he, and that's, that's uh, what's the dude's name? I forget the guy's name, the main character. Ter- uh, Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard. Yeah. yeah. So Terrence Howard gives. <laughs> I'm, I'm dying to hear <laughs> where this is going to connect yeah. with me, man. It's fantastic. So, all right. So Terrence Howard gives Ludacris. His tape. His tape. And then he says to, Ludacris says to Terrence Howard, we all got a dream. And and then he proceeds to go to the restroom and, and wipe his yeah. self with the guy's tape. <laughs> Has a client ever come to you? <laughs> and you said, "We all got a dream." <laughs> but like, but I can't but help you, you. But you have like what they're taught, what they're asking for is like so preposterous or like insane or not achievable that you just like. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Do people I, come I, to you with ideas all the time, like like hip hop artists? And I mean, definitely. Okay. <laughs> um, but usually, to be honest, it's more if if I'm turning something down, it's because I can't look myself in the mirror mm-hmm. and feel good about it, right? So. You know, Walgreens one time approached mm-hmm. us and offered us a lot of money because they were trying to ban cigarettes in Walgreens. I'm like, just is that what I want to represent? Mm-hmm. Or when Jewel came calling, that was a big issue last year, and they called mm-hmm. multiple times. Mm-hmm. And you know, I even met you know one of the first employees of Jewel, who I was super impressed by. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was so passionate, and she was telling me she's a single mom and. You know, uh, she's never smoked a cigarette in her life and believes in the founders and, you know, this is going to do this or that. And I was kind of taken by her. And I remember going to talk to my 15-year-old son, who's a sophomore in high school. And I'm like, you heard of Jewel? And he like rolls his eyes at me. Mm -hmm. He's like, Mm -hmm. he's like, dad, everyone does that, man, in my Mm -hmm. high school bathroom, you know? And I'm like, what if I had like unlimited resources to curb youth smoking. Like, just imagine we could do whatever we want. And he was like, I don't think it's possible, dad. And mm-hmm. like, that was like a wake up call mm. of like, I wanted to do something bold and I believed in this woman. But I was like, at the end of the day, I don't want to be affiliated with that, you know? And turns out, you know, I was right, at least in my own opinion, you mm-hmm. know, now hearing like the unbelievable negative health impacts of mm-hmm. e cigarettes. Um, but I mean, sometimes people come to me with kind of bold ideas, but usually it's just kind of quick and off the cuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'll say, maybe you should do A, B, and C. And most nine times out of 10, they'll never go do A, mm-hmm. B, and C. Right, so it's right. like, if you're serious, then I would do this. And then usually it kind of goes away from yeah, there. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you don't shoot people like Ludacris. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, but again, I was like waiting to see yeah, what know, you were yeah. talking about. That was little, I know, and I, and, I, and I sometimes I take a long time to get to the point when I'm building stories. <laughs> so thank you for your. But patience. that movie is unbelievable. So yeah, there you yeah. go. I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, you know, like the um, I I respect the fact that you didn't take on those clients, and uh, and yeah, last year. Uh, I heard about Jewel throwing around tons of money everywhere. Oh yeah, um, and and I've met people that work for the company, and uh, I'm always like, oh, I think we and we passed a resolution at the school board to in support of um, banning e-cigarettes uh, yeah. locally, and you know I have my own history with Walgreens around like the security that they hire and how they racially profile you know people that come into the there was a story about me in the and and the examiner about that like last year, yeah. so. Um, but anyway, uh, very interesting. So, Project Homeless Connect. Yeah. Let's, let's get into that a little bit. Sure. What was the impetus behind? What is Project Homeless Connect for people that don't know? Um, so, I mean, you know, Gavin Newsom ran on Care Not Cash, right? B- uh, before he ran for mayor, mm-hmm. um, which was basically taking away kind of cash subsidy and putting that into, you know, into rent, essentially mm-hmm. rent subsidy. And, you know, I mean, that was what? I remember 17 that. years ago, 18 years ago, yeah. and that was the issue of the day. I mean, hello, right? Um, so obviously homelessness was front and center. 
And after the campaign, uh, you know, he made me his deputy chief of staff and there I was in room 200. And I mean, I'll give him a lot of credit. I, you know, he walked into my office like within the first couple of days and he said, you're going to be my point person on homelessness. And I'm like, I don't know anything about homelessness. Like you've got, you know, Trent Roars, the head of human services, $1 billion agency. You've got Barbara Garcia, public health, $2 billion agency, ton of experts and doctors. And he's like, yeah, no, I, I got that. He's like, but I need someone who's like my guy, who's close to me, who's going to think outside the box, who's going to like motivate and organize these people. And it really started with like, getting i think it was like 250 city employees out on the street mm. and we like broke it up into five little areas in the tenderloin and all we did was just bring services like we had a few doctors some nurses you know some like hygiene kits just like little things that we went out and surveyed folks on the street and we like went out as this mass movement and people just dug it so much that they were like, when are we doing this again? And can I bring my friend? And can I bring my partner? And the next thing you know, we're like doing it at Bill Graham Civic Auditorium and like 2000 volunteers are showing up. So it was, um, again, like I said at the beginning, it was really the first time I merged politics and organizing to social policy. And I was just like, super engaged mm -hmm. at that like just recognizing that people wanted to do something to help but they didn't really know where they fit in it's such a complex issue it's disturbing it's sad and no one knows what to do so like being able to motivate them to come to this one place where they felt part of a bigger city family mm -hmm. in doing something um positive for people was kind of magical. I mean, you know, 200 cities are doing it around the country, three different places around the world. Mm. Um, but, you know, we're now 17 years later, and while I'm super proud of it and I'm glad it's still around, um, it's not a solution. Right. You know what I mean? It's right. like it's a magical one day, but then it's tomorrow, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. there are other strategies I'm certainly passionate about and trying to continue to work on to kind of turn the corner on this because I just – I do believe it is solvable. I really do. Not just in San Francisco. I mean, mm -hmm. in the country, there's a half a million homeless people, like in a country of 400 million people. Like it's, right. it's just got to be solvable if there's collective will. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get into, into the solution. And obviously, like as a part of this year, I'm going to be talking a lot about this topic. And, um, you know, the, the general sentiment of the city is that, um, it's going in the wrong direction. Nothing's being done, and uh, there's like this, there's this, there's this uh, tension between political correctness and like um, a desire sentiment around being more aggressive. You know, that's kind of like becoming more of the tone of the city around the conversation. And with the proliferation of needles on the street and yeah. feces on the street, and it's like, you know, and obviously this affects the, our schools. And you know, I hear a lot of complaints from um, our custodial staff or other people that work at sites about um, seeing all this like near near where they work, where our kids are. That's right. <clears throat> and so, um, and so, you know, what is your? I know you have a lot of friends in a lot of places, right? But like, if you, what is your assessment of the existing strategy, and what do you think the city can be doing more of? So we're doing some work right now with Tipping Point. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm having Dan on too. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he and his team, I mean, incredibly dedicated, smart, you know, committed people. Um, and Daniel and I have been having this conversation for multiple years. Um, but they engaged us probably six, eight months ago uh, to help them with what's called their all-in campaign, which is essentially around trying to create 1,100 units of supportive housing, but citywide, like enough of putting people in the Tenderloin or the Bayview, like that is just not a sustainable solution. And uh, I will say I learned of a model through a guy that I used to work um, with when I was at the city. He's a guy named Mark Trotz, okay. who was in the Department of Public Health, super smart. Um, he worked for then Mitch Katz, who was the head of public health mm -hmm. he went with him when mitch got the job in la running public health 
And they started a model down there called Brilliant Corners. Okay. Um, that like once I kind of got my arms around it to really understand what it was, it made so much sense to me. And I, again, it's about how do you educate and motivate the public that there are solutions that work? Mm-hmm. Um, because there's so many different things happening that I don't think, to your point, like people are frustrated and they just don't know is anything happening, right? That's positive, which of course there is, right? Um, And Brilliant Corners is a model, essentially it says, they're the connective tissue between the homeless individual and a landlord of an existing vacant unit. Mm -hmm. So in San Francisco, I mean, this report just came out a couple months ago, there's 38,000 vacant units in San Francisco. Hmm. So the idea that we just need to build, 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 like there's plenty of vacancy mm-hmm. that exists mm-hmm. where as long as the rent subsidy is there, the case management is there, the landlord is getting paid, you know, a market rate mm-hmm. rent mm-hmm. on the first of the month, there's a 24-hour hotline, there's case management. There are plenty of people who have taken those few steps mm-hmm. who are ready for some kind of self-sufficiency, which would then open up other slots, right? Mm-hmm. So it's actually a model I'm I really believe can work. Mm-hmm. Um, tipping points putting some real skin in the game. Mm-hmm. We're we're raising resources from the philanthropic sector. Uh, Mayor Breed has really stepped up on the city, prioritizing this vision. Um, so I think you might start to see that needle move a little bit, but I mean it's gonna take some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really think it's a model that can work and something I'm really passionate and inspired about. Yeah. Is there a uh, collective like a uh, vision around a goal for what the streets should look like over a certain amount of time. Like we want to end this issue by this year or we're trying to, um, I mean, I don't I mean, I don't know that that's possible. And whenever people put timelines on it, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it, it just sounds like more like a press hit, you know, yeah, like yeah, we're yeah. going to cut it in half by like this time. Vision zero type thing. I mean, or, I, you yeah. know, I mean, I, I believe in trying to have a goal that certainly makes sense. Um, but again, like I want to get back to doing what I think I do best, which is kind of organizing and motivating people. Cause there's a lot, you saw what happened with the, um, the nav center mm-hmm. on the Embarcadero, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. hundreds of people came out, absolutely not. And like, you got to give the mayor a lot of props, man. I mean, she just shows up and is like, this is my community. I'm from San Francisco. We need to do this. So she's been bold and deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, but I think what I would love to see is like, how do you go into neighborhoods like Western Edition, Sunset, Richmond, West Portal, where you're organizing people to say, hey, I would welcome someone mm-hmm. in my neighborhood. So there's more of that like, yes, in my backyard mm-hmm. versus just fighting anything right. that has to do with supportive housing in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to organize that broader community because I actually think there are plenty of people that if there was a vacant unit across the street on Linden Mm -hmm. that a landlord wanted to rent out and they were getting paid and it was a formerly homeless person who's got case management, I believe there are plenty of people who'd be like, I'm fine with that person living Mm -hmm. right across the street. But someone needs to organize those voices. Right, right. Yeah, you can sign me up too for being a a support in- um, Right on trying to have these conversations because you know what i what i see in the western edition is um it's you got to be careful about like trying to sign people up or you're talking about landlords i mean like what, what, I, what I think about um all of the we have a ton of uh churches in the western edition whose memberships have dwindled and they have these like large parking lots next to the absolutely to the um to the parish and and i'm like um, you know, <laughs> that seems like a, a site. It's not the not, best use for such a big piece of property. Right, right. And so what would it look like if, you know, we involved them? And I was like, that's why I was saying being careful about signing them up because they may be against something like that. But it's like that list thing that we talked about, you know? It's like if 100 of them are on the list, if you can make the calls, like, you know, somebody's going to say yes yeah. on the list, you know? Yeah. So, um I'm very excited about taking on a, pro- a project like that because I think that, you know, for what I understand about the faith community, that is a part of their work, you know, and so like re- repurposing property to help solve this problem in this neighborhood, I think would be 
um, a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a multitude of strategies. There's no one silver bullet. Like, I do believe, to your point, that we do need to build more, right? I mean, look, there is a supply and demand issue that's happening here, whether people want to believe that or not, right? I mean, there's just not enough places, right? Um, so building is part of it. But again, I think there are so many vacant units where as long as people have the subsidy mm -hmm. um, and the case management, they're ready, mm -hmm. right? Because they've, they've shown some level of success. Yeah. So <laughs> I, again, I think it needs to be just, it's collective will, mm -hmm. right? Just like tweaking at the edges right. isn't gonna do it and mm -hmm. the city can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been the exciting thing of working with Tipping Point is that they're pretty dialed in to the philanthropic community, the corporate community, and being able to merge that with city leadership and the broader community. I think there's some there there, but mm -hmm. again, no simple solution to a complex problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that both end because the building was called it's called building corners. Brilliant corners. Brilliant corners. Brilliant, Brilliant corners. corners. Sounds yeah. great. And. How close is that to being rolled out? Uh, I mean, it's like it started really soon. Yeah. Okay. I mean, again, we've been talking about it for quite a while, kind of getting organized. And, you know, the reality is, is the resources need to be there, right? Because, again, there are units available and the staff at Brilliant Corners, they have what's called housing acquisition specialists. Like, this is what they do all day long is like kind of back to the list. They're like cold calling folks and saying like, if we were able to bring you the resources, would you be able to take someone on? Would you be willing? And there are plenty of people that are ready to go. You just need to make sure there's the resources for the rent subsidy. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we just had a really successful meeting last week um, with you know a bunch of potential donors. Mm -hmm. Again, Daniel and Tipping Point put some real money on the table. So I think our goal in 2020 is to you know have enough resources to house about 330 people within this model. So at least that could show some there there. Uh, and then really tell those stories of not just the homeless individual, but the landlord mm -hmm. who says like, hey, I was hesitant about this, but I'm glad I did it. Mm -hmm. I believe in this person. They've been a great tenant. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm helping the city. Like there just needs to be a broader communications program, right. I think, to get people excited about it. So I've, I've got some big ideas. So we'll yeah. see if yeah. uh, we can turn that into reality. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. You, you occupy an interesting space in the city where like you are solving problems um, for big companies and then on the ground trying to move forward these initiatives that, are really uh, you know the most important issues that our city is facing today. Like what what are you and, and housing is obviously an important issue yeah. our, our city is facing. Um, is there anything else that you would say or like top level issues that you want to see movement on? Yeah, I mean, no doubt transportation is another one. Mm -hmm. um, and I will say, you know, Lyft has been our client for a long time, and they're they're a great client. Mm -hmm. um, what I've really found fascinating in the past couple years is it's almost like they're supporting through their micro mobility efforts, like almost putting themselves out of business. Not, not really, but meaning I think they now have a vision of if you live in the Excelsior, cause you know, they now have the, the bike share uh, contract. So mm -hmm. they bought motivate, mm -hmm. which was sponsored by Ford. If you right. remember the yep. Ford I go remember. bikes. Yep. Yep. So now they're all branded lift bay wheels, right? So they, they basically, manage the entire bike share system mm -hmm. in San Francisco. And I think they see a model where you could wake up in the Excelsior, get on your Lyft bike share, take that to Muni, take Muni Metro downtown, hop on a Lyft scooter and go to work and you don't even need your car. Mm -hmm. And I think those strategies, being able to really push that along the mayor this morning is talking about congestion pricing. So mm -hmm. that's really got some legs all mm -hmm. of a sudden, which other major cities have done across the world. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, traffic and congestion and pedestrian safety, those are serious issues, mm -hmm. you know? And so the work that we're doing with Lyft of kind of moving that agenda forward is is something that's also kind of exciting to yeah. be a part of. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely support congestion pricing. And um, and I and I was a, a Lyft user. I, I'm out like I, I mostly use Uber now, and uh, and I and I drive. And um, my dad is a Muni driver, and oh, wow. so uh, he's been doing that for like six years. He was doing paratransit before 
So I, I take Muni and, you know, for the way that my life kind of works and moves, getting around the city, um, you know, a lot, a lot of our, like I, I have a car because a lot of my family left the city, yeah. you know, and I think that's the case for a lot of black families. And uh, so we're, we're kind of maneuvering out into Oakland or Berkeley or whatever. Yeah. And, and, you know, those those rideshare fees, you know, they, <laughs> they, they, they kind of get up there. And, and I remember the conversation that the city was having about this like general rejection of like the scooters, you know. And the reason why I shared the sentiment is because it's felt like the city was being overrun. We didn't like I didn't see it coming. Like the same thing with like the um, when the bike started coming and taking up spots or like the red yep. lanes the came curbs. down yeah, Mission yeah, Street. Definitely. And so it seems like there's a lot of uh, policy changes that are happening that uh, are kind of sprung on us. You know, I had a guy on, he owns the, he owns Standard Deviant. You, you know that brewing company, Standard Deviant? Yeah, they it sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. His name is Mark and they own a, he, he's affiliated with Ben Blyman, who's on the uh, art, on the Arts Commission okay. and they do a lot of stuff. But it, uh, Mark was talking about how the red bus lanes coming down Mission uh, killed foot traffic to a lot of the vendors on Mission. To the he merchants, owns, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He owns Dr. Teeth on Mission. I don't know if you know that spot. Okay. But, um, and so, and so, there are like these multiple facets of these issues that like, you know, need to be teased out, right? A lot of the people that um, are using, or that are like drivers for these companies are people of color and they're finding work through these companies and then yep. the congestion is going up and it seems like like dang like somebody's gonna be unhappy you know based oh, yeah. on whatever the outcome of these of these decisions are um you know are, are there existing aspects of the city's transit policy when it comes to ride share that you think the city can be doing better of yeah, I mean, look, I'm no expert, right? I mean, I will say, you know, the MTA just hired a new director, Jeffrey Tumlin, and we actually brought in the the CEO and president of Lyft to meet with him. And Anthony Fox, who was Obama's uh, secretary of transportation, is now a vice president for Lyft. So mm -hmm. he's a heavy hitter mm -hmm. and brought them in and had a really productive conversation with Jeffrey. And I must say, I was super impressed. I mean, mm -hmm. just smart, engaging, um, willing to push, but really saw it as a partner. And I think this is... Um, it's a bit of the struggle about San Francisco from time to time is there's kind of this us against them mentality mm -hmm. that, you know, I want to believe you can agree to disagree and you can battle during the day, but you can have a beer together at night. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of that here. And I think so as much as Ed Raskin is a really nice guy, he was super responsive to me and thoughtful. Uh, he was, you know, very antagonistic against Lyft and Uber, mm -hmm. and it was hard to kind of move the ball collaboratively. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I do at least have hope that uh, Jeffrey is at least open to how do we tap into your experience and resources mm -hmm. to make the city, you know, a better place for safety and efficient transportation. Um, so I'm hopeful. Um, but yeah, these are these are complex issues. There's no doubt drivers are coming from outside of mm -hmm. San Francisco and mm -hmm. don't know where they're going and not mm -hmm. following the rules. And those are real things, right? Mm -hmm. That I think I think the companies need to find a way to deal with. But uh, the fact that there's an open door at the MTA, at least for right now, is a is a productive sign. Yeah, 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 and I, yeah, and I'm happy that um, you all are are being collaborative. I think that I mean part of the reason why I want to participate and and do more with the city is because um, I think solutions have to involve all of our stakeholders, and uh, being anti anything isn't necessarily the best solution to anything. Totally you know? agree. Let's talk about hip hop. Before I let you get out of here, <laughs> right on. Yeah, so that's easy uh, enough. Yeah, big jump, big shift. <laughs> so when I when I ran into you on the street, you were listening to Public Enemy. <laughs> that is true, <laughs> which I didn't expect. That is true. <laughs> I think I even pulled off my my uh, uh -huh. my earpiece and yeah. showed it to you. So you know, I didn't grow up on Public Enemy, but I respect their legacy. Yeah. Um, who are your top five hip hop artists? Uh, well, again, I, I listen to pretty much 
old school hip hop. So uh-huh. I mean, I'm listening to Gangstar, uh-huh. uh, De La Soul, uh-huh. Tribe, Okay, Far Side, probably uh-huh. stuff like that. Um, the interesting thing is my son is now super into music and. I'm actually quite impressed with his eclectic style. Mm-hmm. So he's introduced me to like Smino, um, yeah, I'm not uh, <laughs> Somersault, like, you know, so, you know, um, uh, Rex Orange County, like just really like kind of smooth R&B hip hop mix, you okay. know, um, okay. just a lot of flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been kind of a cool thing as being a father of a teenage son, like, Half the time I get one word answers. You know what I mean? It's like mm. great, fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when he does want to start talking, I have to temper my enthusiasm because if I look like I'm too excited to talk to him, then it's not cool anymore. Mm. Uh, but one of the things that kind of opens up that dialogue is when he wants to talk about music. Mm-hmm. And it's actually nice when all, you know, I, I think I was. I was listening to third bass last week again. Like I listen to '90s hip hop for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm drawn to, and seeing him like kind of like what you know, mm. lean in a little bit. What's that about? Mm-hmm. And talking about what I used to listen to, or showing him some other things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a nice connection between the two mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. Are you like a? Do you go to shows? Do you do all that too? Or you just like listen to it on the go? Yeah, I more listen to it. Yeah. I mean, like I'll go to like outside lands and uh, stuff okay. like that. Uh-huh. You know, like kind of bigger shows. Mm-hmm where you can see like all you know different kinds of artists mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean i i should be going to more shows probably yeah. kind of miss being out there but you know i'm mm-hmm. working i'm raising a 15 year old boy right uh time is limited you know yeah 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 in respect to your time i'm a i'm a close this out and um i always end the show talking about uh leadership and legacy and so You've obviously had a lot of different phases of your career and um, supported getting leaders in the office and now lead a company. Do you have any guiding principles when it comes to leadership? It's a great question. Um, I mean, look, I think it's just probably the importance of authenticity and being communicative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, what makes me most proud as a company owner is when we can represent a client's interest and the community interest at the same time and kind of be the architect of that magic being made between the two. So if we're raising the brand of a client and then bringing really meaningful impact in a community and those two entities are feeling really good about that marriage and we're just the guys behind the scenes that are kind of making that magic happen, like. To me, that that's leadership, mm-hmm. right? And so it's, um, you know, not to be cliche, but I mean, it's just kind of bringing these diverse interests together and having a willingness to have a dialogue, to look people in the eye, to tell people the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. I, you know, I like to say a lot that, I, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in a room, but if you put 10 people in my conference room, and we're trying to get somewhere that I can lead those people to that result. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's just knowing when to listen a little bit more or when to bring out a little bit more in someone mm-hmm. um, and just being able to kind of meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, that most people want to do good things. I just, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people need direction and leadership. And I like to be in that role to make it happen. Nice, nice. And so, uh, legacy. You talked about uh, your family, your your mother, and your and your son. Um, I named my company after my great grandfather, Luther Harris. It's called the Luther Harris Holding Company. Nice. Uh, he came to San Francisco in the 1940s. You know, bought a house on Oak Street. Came here with a sixth grade education, and went out to buy homes for all of his children. He worked for Muni for a time too. Uh, He did that at a time in the country. It was very hard for black people to do much of anything. So his legacy is important to me. This is his dictionary. Wow, that's awesome. And this is his wife's chairs. This is my great grandmother's chairs. (laughs) Right on, honor to sit on. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, How do you think about legacy? How do you think in general and how do you think about your legacy? Um. I mean, I can't say I think too much about it. I mean, I'd like to think I'm a relatively young man, so I still got a lot of work to do. Um, 
but again, at the end of the day, most people aren't going to remember the, you know, individual clients or how many years I, you know, was a business owner or any of those things. It's, um, it's those issues like homelessness or transit or, I mean, like something that I can look back on that I really helped move the needle that made the city a better place or the region or the state. Like that's still what drives me is, I mean, I'm an ambitious owner of a company. I, I want to grow my company, right? I want to take care of my son and my stepkids and, you know, um, but again, like I want to work on like system changing type initiatives mm -hmm. and you know like this all-in initiative I, I wish i could spend 10 hours a day on it but i have 26 clients right and they all need some part of me uh, so there's only so many hours in a day so i guess i'd love to find a way where i'm working on less projects mm -hmm. um, that have tremendous resources behind it so i can really dedicate more time to those things that are moving the needle on things that I'm passionate about. So I, I hope that's a legacy 20, 30 years down the road that I've actually helped move the needle and change some systems along the way. Mm. I believe you will. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Awesome, man. Thank you. Really I appreciate, appreciate the invitation. Yeah, yeah. Peace, peace. And thank you for listening to another episode of Cook on Monday Morning. At Cook on Monday Morning, we believe that if you own Monday morning, you can own the week. If you own the week, you can own the year. And if you change your year, you can change your life. I'd like to thank Alex Turk for coming in to talk about his journey, the work that he does um, in San Francisco politics and finding solutions for the clients that he supports between you know public and private partnerships. It's been you know really an honor to get to know Alex over the last several years. I think he is really committed to creating a better San Francisco and learning more about how he got into his work today, I thought was very informative and hopefully uh, inspiring for people looking to do some similar work in whatever cities that they are operating out of. I'd like to thank all the people that made this podcast possible. I'd like to thank David Topete, my videographer and producer. Thank you, sir. I'd like to thank Fernando Cena Marquez for the editing that he does in the newsletter. I appreciate you, sir. Uh, and I'd like to thank all of you, all of you that have been sharing, uh, subscribing, and uh, talking about Cook on Monday morning to your friends and loved ones. We have been on this journey to get to 2020 subscribers by April 30th of 2020. Uh, that is growing every week because of you. So I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate the feedback you're giving me. If you would like to reach out to me you can hit me up on twitter i'm at steve mountain cook i'm also officially back on instagram uh, <laughs> uh, at steve mountain cook on instagram as well if you want to email me about anything related to the show please do so my email address is info at stevemountcook.com and um, i'd love to hear about your suggestions ideas your feedback whatever you want to talk about. I also want to thank and acknowledge the people that make San Francisco the great city that it is. It's it's uh, beautiful and it's amazing and it gets to where it's going uh, on time because of you. You are our first responders, you know, our firefighters, our MTA workers, people that keep our uh, city safe. You are our muni drivers, our teachers, our uh, school lunch workers, our custodial staff, the people that collect our uh, trash, the people that are doing the hard work of engaging our most vulnerable populations in my community, Hayes Valley, in the city at large. Thank you. This podcast is for you. I'm your biggest fan, and I commend you for the work that you do. Uh, I also like to just acknowledge all the people in cities across the country that have been taking on this important self-work of improving uh, how they feel about uh, their community and, and taking on and owning Monday morning. They are in cities like Oakland, Los Angeles, Dallas, Houston, New Orleans, Philadelphia, Chicago, New York, Detroit, Cincinnati, Cleveland, all of you everywhere looking to build and improve your community. I commend you. I want to hear from you. Uh, talk about the solutions that you're trying to bring to your neighborhoods, to your cities and collectively we can make our country a better place. So thank you, 
Peace, peace, and we out. <laughs>